A quick disclaimer. This week, I interview Anthony Palma, the CEO of Jump. I feel it's important to note that Blackshell Media, the video game publishing company that presents this show, does have a partnership with Jump and will be putting some of their games on Jump's platform. However, and as always, the Indie Insider podcast is not a part of the publishing branch of Blackshell Media, and everything within this show is produced and approved by me, without bias towards Blackshell Media. If you have any questions or concerns on this, you can always email me at logan at blackshellmedia.com. Enjoy this week's episode of Indie Insider. Hey, Insiders, one quick thing. Anthony and I talk about it in this episode, but I wanted to mention it here as well. If you're an indie dev, or even an aspiring indie dev, and you're feeling stuck, have questions, or are seeking guidance on any aspect of game development, the business, publishing, or anything else, you can reach out to us anytime. I'm happy to work with you and even connect you with other professionals who might be able to help you. And the team at Jump has even offered to do the same. You can email me at logan at blackshellmedia.com. And if you'd like to talk to the VP of Content and Community over at Jump, Cade Peterson, you can email him at cade at playonjump.com. That's C-A-D-E at playonjump.com. After all, you're insiders now, and we're all in this together. Welcome to Indie Insider, presented by Blackshell Media. This is the weekly show where we talk with video game developers and professionals about their stories, their advice for others, and their thoughts on the indie video game industry. I'm Logan Schultz, and on today's show, I sit down and talk with Anthony Palma, the CEO of Jump. Jump is an on-demand video game subscription service many are referring to as the Netflix of indie games. Anthony and I talk about building effective business models for indie developers, seeking funding and working with a publisher, tips for persevering when you're feeling aimless, and we explore the ins and outs of Jump as a service, including the financials, technology, and future of the platform. As always, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas on what we should do next, shoot me an email at logan at blackshellmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz. And now, the CEO of Jump, Anthony Palma. I'm talking with Anthony Palma, one of the gentlemen behind Jump, which you may have seen in the video game media recently. Uh, Anthony, how's it going? Good, Logan. Thanks for having me. I'm extremely excited to talk to you. Like I said, uh, there's been a lot of news about you and about you know this new company uh, in the video game media as of late. Um, what company are you working with? Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, so Jump is an on-demand game subscription service that will be launching this summer. We're in beta right now until July 24th. Uh, so we have uh, a, it's a good group of people in there testing the app, um, checking us out and giving us feedback. You can see it at playonjump.com. Uh, and what we strive to be is uh, basically the logical next step in the life cycle of a game's content. And particularly at launch, we're looking to work directly with indie developers exclusively. So uh, this is a subscription service where indie developers can bring their game uh, we encourage them to do it at the end of their life cycle of a premium sales so that we're not trying to cannibalize any of their sales. But this should really fit in uh, at the end of their game's life cycle uh, once they've exhausted their premium sales so that they can generate more revenue um, from users who may not have bought it or are waiting for it to be on sale. Sure. Yeah, so one thing that uh, I've been hearing a lot about lately uh, is people talking about how games kind of come and go in terms of um, waves with their sales. So you have that initial launch window of sales, you know, there's a lot of hype around it, and then it kind of dies off. And then you have a sale and sales pick up again because, you know, your game is cheaper and it's getting out in front of people. Right. What you're looking at is maybe that third or fourth wave where, you know, this is another chance for people to get their game in front of audiences. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's a good way to think about it. Uh, in the life cycle of a game, there's the giant spike at launch. And then maybe if they do a Steam sale, there's another spike. And then Humble Bundle is kind of a small spike. Sure. Otherwise, it's pretty flat in between. It's very hard to maintain a, a stable level of sales. And even now, with just the sheer number of games that are on platforms like Steam, it's getting harder to even be found in a sale if your game is 90% off. It's, it's just being hard to be discovered in general. So one of the biggest goals of Jump is to be able to deliver not only a new revenue stream, which I'll talk about how all that works, but discoverability for these indie developers too. So they can get heard and found in the middle of all this clutter. 
Uh, and primarily we're focusing on premium titles that are of a certain quality. So we do curate the platform so that we know the right games are getting the visibility that they need and that game developers, or sorry, gamers coming to the uh, site get a chance to uh, know that there's a good amount of quality on the service. When you say curated, my mind instantly jumps to um, TV streaming. So like Netflix or Hulu, is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, Something you can, along those lines? It's it's close in the way that we bring on like a minimum quality bar for the content. Okay. So what you can think of is we have three different things we call our pillars of curation. And what we're looking for in indie games is one of three things or a combination of the three. We're looking for uh, high uh, highly award-winning games. So if they've won like an IGF award, Indicate, anything like that. Uh, if they were highly rated, so uh, Metacritic, Steam sales, or uh, the Steam rating system, or if they were just runaway hits um, and, and did uh, some pretty good sales numbers. Those are kind of the three that we use as a minimum baseline to judge games. It's not to say that we won't look at a game if you've never won an award, but those are the three criteria that we look for for content. And a lot of our games have either two or even three all three of the uh, of the pillars. So we want to be able to stick to those as like a minimum quality bar so that gamers can come to the service knowing that there's uh, no shovelware or, or anything that's going to detract from the quality on the service. Sure. That's exactly what I was thinking of is, is you know, the word you used, shovelware. Um, and one thing you mentioned before was that uh, indie games have a hard time standing out amongst the clutter, right? There's they so do. many indie video games right now. Uh, but I guess part of the goal with Jump is to uh, shine a light on those games that um, are high quality, but that you may have missed. Yeah, and it's um, it's a bit of a mix because we want to be able to feature the best indie games as well, um, in, in both old and new. So it doesn't have to be something from five years ago. It could be as, as new as a month or two ago. It's really up to the developer. Um, we give recommendations on when they should come based on the Steam sales we can see from something like Steam Spy. But ultimately, it's up to the developer. And so we have interest from developers from five years ago as well as five days ago. Um, who have launched their games. So, uh, you know, we leave it up to them as to when they come, but what we want to be able to do is be a place where they can be discovered, regardless of when they bring their game over, uh, and generate a new form of revenue where they don't have to rely on sales. Well, let's go ahead and jump back to the beginning of this story and give a little bit more context. So, uh, Anthony, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, how the idea for Jump came about. Sure. So starting from the beginning, I grew up in West Virginia, um, a small town outside of Pittsburgh, and uh, in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, about probably an hour away. Sure. Uh, went to West Virginia University for my undergrad. I did computer science and computer engineering. So I come from a tech background. And then I went straight to Carnegie Mellon for a master's in entertainment technology, which is where I started getting into game development. Uh, coming out of that program, I founded this company actually as a game development studio called Kermdinger Studios. And we started working on a game. It was when indie development was really hot back in 2012. And uh, we realized very quickly that building content was just an incredibly difficult way to make money. <laughs> uh, nobody could find your game already. And, you know, five years ago, there were, you know, a thousand games and now there's 13,000 or something on Steam. So it was still really impossible. And we also realized that coming from a tech background made it very difficult um, to build kind of the business side of, of indie game development and what you need for marketing and understanding how distribution works, everything like that is all a complete mystery to us. So you know, rather than launch the game back then that we knew wouldn't sell enough to really matter, we started shifting our focus elsewhere and looking at things that we could potentially do to sustain ourselves, build a, you know, a more scalable business so that we could get back to game development one day. Um, in the middle of this, we all kind of took contract work to keep ourselves afloat. I actually ran an accelerator for game development companies called Core Labs uh, for three different cohorts. We took 50 companies all around the world, all remote uh, through that program, and we taught them the business side of indie game development, the one thing that I didn't understand very well when I started out. Um, so that was really successful. But what it made me realize, this was probably the end of 2014 we started working on it, was that discoverability and distribution were major problems for indie game developers. Uh, it was a huge challenge to try to both get your game out there and uh, get it out there across multiple platforms. So we had always looked at subscription services and why they didn't really work. And, and what we found is a lot of it came back to the tech and then the actual execution of the business model and everything like that for the developers. It, it either worked just for gamers or it worked just for developers, but not both. Um, so late 2014, we saw an announcement from Unity about this new tech uh, export they were using called WebGL. I got really interested in web-driven tech and figuring out what exactly that could do. And I, I kind of saw where things were going on the tech side and realized that the, the tech was finally going to catch up 
with the market's needs and desires for a service that was good for both game developers and gamers. So that's where the idea for Jump came from. We started working on it in a very early form in 2015. Uh, you know, fast forward two years, and earlier this year, we raised our first major round of funding, which allowed us to hire uh, some fantastic folks uh, on the team, like Cindy, uh, who's our, our VP of communications and uh, cracking the whip on me on these interviews. But um, <laughs> it's uh, it's been a whirlwind since then, since we um, closed that funding. And you know, obviously, we launched the beta to um, a really strong amount of coverage and, and mostly very positive, which is great. Um, so that's how we uh, came to be today. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. Um, and yeah, of course, shout out to Cindy. Um, she's the one that helped kind of coordinate this interview. So I, I appreciate her help on that. Um, it's, it's an interesting story and it's, uh, it's easy to see the arc that your path and your career has taken. Um, you know, s- that's brought you to this point. That's brought you to jump. Um, tell me a little bit about Core Lab. So you mentioned this accelerator and you actually mentioned that you worked with, um, Raghav Mather, who is from Black Show Media and who actually connected us in the first place. Yeah, so Raga was one of the mentors who used to give uh, talks on trying to expand your voice on social media. So we tried to cover, it was a 24-week program, and we would have 24 different talks from different mentors like him or uh, folks from the Indie Mega booth, people from different game companies, um, even like former CEOs of Sega and Square Enix would give talks. Um, and it was always about a different topic. So Raga's was always about social media and, and building your online voice. Uh, which was great. So that's how I got connected to Black Shell Media. And actually, we're bringing some Black Shell Media games to Jump as part of the launch portfolio. Excellent. Well, I'll include a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode, you know, making sure that people know we are partnering together, um, the two companies. Yeah, great. I, n- not me personally. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's really excellent. So uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, specifically since we're talking about Black Shell Media, when you are looking at the games you're going to bring on, um, and you said, you know, you've been in beta for a while, are people coming to you at this point? Are you reaching out to people um, to try and get their games on your platform? Or what does that look like right now? Yeah, this has been the first week where the the flow has really switched a bit. Uh, it's all <laughs> been bound up to this point because nobody knew we were existed. We were in stealth until just this past Monday, uh, three days ago. So we've had probably about 50 submissions over the last few days. And some of those meet the quality bar that we're looking for. So that's been really fantastic. Uh, but largely, we're reaching out to developers because we want them not just to see that we're for indie devs, but to really understand what the value proposition is. Um, so we have a, a dedicated person, Kate Peterson, who's the, the VP of content for us. Uh, and it's his job on top of mind to go out to these developers and uh, round up the ones that are in the right spot to come to jump. Um, we're also working with uh, Robert Bowling, who is uh, part of the label, which is a, like a mobile game subscription service. Um, separate from us, he's doing a lot of exclusives for his platform, but he's got uh, strong connections from his days at Humble for um, actually going out to these developers of the, the higher caliber that are harder to get a hold of. Um, mm-hmm. So the, t- the two of them really help us connect directly with the developers, um, talk through all the different benefits, when they should come to the platform. And you know, the biggest thing, too, is that we understand it's a risk. It's a new platform, and we understand that time is money. So we've actually set aside about a third of our... Uh, fundraised money specifically for advances on revenue for these developers. So not only are we reaching out to them to explain why it's good, but we're trying to de-risk the porting process for them so that it's really a no-brainer for anybody that comes. That's really interesting. And I love hearing how important uh, taking care of the indie developers is to you, or at least appears to be. Is there a downside to indie devs putting their game on your platform? If you had to say. For them, uh, I really don't think there is. Uh, we're not cannibalizing any sales. You know, we want them to bring it when they're ready. We're not asking for them up front. We're not saying this replaces your premium sales. We're saying this should be a compliment. Um, you know, the, the biggest challenges for them is, is people actually finding their game. And even for the ones that sold well, you know, the, the ones that sold well in the indie world is relative. It means they only sold maybe like a million copies and that's like the top games. So there's you know 149 million other people that use Steam on PC uh, that didn't buy their game. So you can get a ton of extra exposure through us. Uh, it really shouldn't be a downside. And the fact that we're making the port very easy and also you know doing advances on a case-by-case basis, we, we try to take all of the question marks out of it and make it a, as much of a no-brainer as possible. And sure. the way that the contracts are structured too, we ask them to stay on for 12 months if we give them an advance, but after that, it's open-ended. So if they're not happy, they can pull their game down. 
Uh, but we hope that there's no reason to do that. We have no intention of pulling any games off either. So it's not going to be a rotating catalog. It should just be an ever-growing catalog. That's important to hear. I mean, people follow along and... I apologize to constantly compare you to Netflix, but that's what a lot of, you know, people are doing. It's maybe easy for people to, you know, relate those two things. Um, yeah. yeah we you know, but <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, some of the headlines I've seen in the media this past week, since you've, uh, you know, as you said, come out of stealth mode, um, have actually directly compared you to Netflix um, and wanting to be the Netflix of indie games, mm-hmm. uh, which I think was the headline of the IGN article that I saw. Yeah. It's been the highlight or the um, the title of probably thirty different articles. So, <laughs> sure. Uh, well, uh, yeah. When it comes to Netflix, people follow along and see you know which TV shows um, and and which movies are pulled off each month and which ones are added each month. But that's not going to be uh, hopefully not the way it is with Jump, right? Right, and that's because our deals are structured differently than that industry. So theirs work on license deals where they pay for them up front for them to be on there for a certain amount of time, and then they pull them off. At least that's how we understand it. So ours is actually a revenue share with the developers, uh, closer to Spotify's payout model, actually, uh, where 70% of our revenue is actually, our net revenue every month is paid out to developers based on playtime. So you can think of it as number of minutes in your game versus number of minutes in all games is your percentage of that 70%. Uh, so we run some numbers just to give, give kind of a rough estimate because it'll change based on the total number of minutes, but it should come in between 25 to 50 cents an hour for playtime, uh, which if you're considering a game at the end of its life cycle or games that just couldn't be found at all anyway, uh, it ends up working out really well, uh, even for short games because you have to think of it as uh, like not trying to cannibalize premium sales, it's where they come to capture people that probably never bought it in the first place. So it's a different structure. The payout model is different. Um, it's, it's definitely closer to Spotify than Netflix on that front. But that's why we don't have to rotate content off um, like uh, another certain subscription service that I won't name uh, that is doing a rotating <laughs> service. And I know that they're doing something similar with like timed deals where they pay for them up front. So we don't uh, plan on doing that because it's not the way our structure works. Okay. Well, one thing I do want to ask you while we're talking about, um, you know, the revenue split that you've mentioned is, uh, and, and I ask this question because there are a lot of aspiring and established, uh, and very successful indie developers in our indie insider audience who might be interested in putting their game on, you know, this platform at some point in the future. Sure. Um, so I, I really want to ask you, um, a little bit more about the, the revenue split. This is, and from what it sounds like to me, 25 cents to 50 cents an hour is not a lot of money compared to, you know, the uh, selling your game at full cost up front at launch. Correct. Uh, so this really is for the people who are just trying to, you know, get as much out of their title as possible. You probably don't want to launch your game on jump with that split, right? That's exactly right. Um, and that's why we encourage people to come at the end of their life cycle. But what we're seeing is that there's some just fantastic games that are getting absolutely buried these days. Um, and so even though we're not able to give, you know, um, something crazy like, uh, uh, you know, like a $12 split out of a $20 game or something like that from, from steam. Um, I think a good example is the prison architect guys. They built prison architect and sold millions of copies of that game. And then their next game sold 6,000 copies. Um, and that was it. So there's just not a whole lot of options anymore. And what we're trying to be is an option for developers like that that just didn't do what they thought they would do on premium sales. So as soon as their sales dip off, it doesn't have to be you know, an old game. Uh, we, we want you to go run your premium sales and capture all that high-end revenue. But we're a great place to land for, for really anybody. And we even have some developers that are approaching us saying, hey, I know I'm not going to sell well because I don't have the marketing dollars. Can I just put it on Jump? Um, so while, you know, you may not make as much, especially with a short game on jump, uh, it's a great place for, for any game to, to really land. And what I'll add too, is that there will be some games that will do better on jump than they would, uh, in any other setting because it's based on playtime. So if you imagine a game, uh, let's say like FTL was a game that I played a lot of, I would love to get that for jump if they're listening, but, um, we, I probably put a hundred hours into that game. Yeah, shameless plug. Um, I put a hundred hours into that game, and uh, I think they sold it to me for ten dollars, and so they made six fifty seven dollars off of that sale, um, probably off of uh, whatever platforms they were selling it on. And uh, you know, a hundred hours on Jump would end up being something like twenty to uh, twenty five to fifty bucks uh, just for me. 
So you can see how it can add up depending on the type of game. But what I like to emphasize is that even for short games, it's a great place to capture people that uh, probably never bought it in the first place. So you can think of it as additional revenue rather than less revenue. That is one thing that I've heard in discussion uh, as Jump has really made its way into the media is, is this the right place for a, you know, quote unquote, walking simulator, a two to three hour storytelling venture? Is this the right place for that? And you said it a couple times that short games can really thrive here. Um, but I guess I, I really just want to nail home that, you know, that does appear to be the case, right? Because you're, you're capturing at least some semblance of sales that you would normally be. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you think of a game, I think a good example of a game that would benefit from us longer tail and like later in their life cycle would be Firewatch. And the reason I bring up Firewatch is because of the huge debacle they had with Steam refunds and people beating the game and returning it uh, to get their money back, even though they enjoyed it. Uh, not the way that Steam intended for that to go, but these short games really suffer from stuff like that. And on top of people abusing the return system, a lot of people just hear that the game is short and then they won't buy it unless it's like $5 on sale anyway. So our service is like, a, you know, no purchase anxiety. You can pop into a game and it's very pure where I play your game and you make money. So even short games on our service, they can capture all that revenue from people that never bought the game um, because it was too short. They heard it was too short or somebody that returned it on Steam and they never got their money anyway. So uh, pros and cons to all of it. I, I think uh, for short games, it's definitely better to go get your sales before you come to us. But um, we see those sales dip off quicker than something like a roguelike that lasts a little longer. So um, different <laughs> times for everybody um, to bring their games to jump, but there's definitely a home for every type of game. Sure, I like it. Uh, and it's cool that you've uh, established something that, that might work for any game at different points in its, its life cycle. So that's great. Well, one thing that I want to talk to you about is the media explosion around jump that's happened this week. Uh, sure. As, as you mentioned, um, you were kind of in stealth, you were in beta and, and yeah, and I started seeing headlines popping up saying, you know, check out the Netflix for indie games, check out this company that's, you know, starting up that wants to do all of this, blah, blah, blah for indie games. You know, I'm sure your head is spinning from, you know, everything that's going on right now. I'm sure Cindy's head is spinning from everything going on right now. Can you tell me a little bit about what this week has been like for you? It's been a heck of a week, that's for sure. Um, we So we, we planned a few of the uh, press outlets where we prepped them with stories, like we went and talked to a couple of them, and then we emailed out the the press release. Cindy probably sent three, 400, something crazy, because she's awesome, um, <laughs> out, in, uh, and we really expected some pickup. Um, and I had a certain goal in mind for number of users that I wanted throughout the two-week period, we were so surprised by the pickup that we got. You know, we've always personally thought internally that this is really something that can help the industry and really help indie developers. But we were so happy to see that people agreed with us. Like almost all of the articles are are um, either neutral at worst or very positive. Um, and so the pickup that we got was just so incredible. We're so happy to see so much support from developers. The submissions we're getting are great. It's a lot of positive stuff. We even have a Discord channel where people can come talk to us directly and give us feedback on the beta, and that's been very active. Um, but you know that target number I had in my head for for what I wanted to hit for the two weeks, we're probably going to hit it while we're on this call in the first three days. Um, <laughs> we're a few numbers away right now, so it's been a crazy week um, beyond my wildest expectations for how this is going to go. But it really shows me that. You know, people care about indie developers, and and they're really looking for a way to solve this discoverability crisis with the number of games coming out. So, uh, you know, we've got a lot bigger plans than just being just uh, PC game subscription or uh, indie game subscription on desktop. We've got a lot more going on, but um, glad to see so much pickup based on our initial um, announcements. One thing that I think arises when so many people are picking up your story is that a lot of questions arise and a lot of you know, uncertainty and a lot of, you know, maybe even almost rumors, people just, um, you know, misunderstandings from what's put out there. Yeah. I, I'm sure that's happened to you. I'm sure that, you know, uh, some of those things you're trying to address right now, what are some of the predominant uh, frequently asked questions you're getting and, and things that you want to put out in front of people and, and kind of um, answer people's questions right off the bat? Yeah, so I mean, we already answered one of them talking about do short games actually work on the service? So, right. so that was great. We got into that. But the other, by far, the biggest question we get, and you can see it in a lot of the headlines, is uh, 
how the heck does our tech work? Uh, you know, we get a ton of people saying that we are a streaming service and because I think because of the uh, Netflix comparison and because other streaming services exist like PlayStation Now and, and um, OnLive and right. others that have tried in the past. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, tech has been the biggest challenge thus far in trying to get something like this to work. And I was really poking at, at streaming a bit because, you know, movies and music, it works because you could buffer up to a certain point. But in gaming, it's it has to be real time. And so with the game running on some remote server and then sending you a video feed of what you're playing, there's just an inherent amount of latency. And so it's not the, the user experience you want. It's also very expensive to run. So what Jump does is not streaming. What we actually do is what I'd call like a temporary download. So we're kind of like the user experience of streaming where the game loads up very quickly. Most of our games, if not all, load up in less than 60 seconds um, on a decent connection, like 15 megabits or something like that. Uh, it loads up very quickly, but they're not streaming and they're also not permanently installed. So what our tech does, which we call HyperJump technology, um, it's some proprietary web-based tech. I was telling you earlier about some web stuff that I saw in 2014 and saw where it was going. So HyperJump is based on web tech. Okay. And what we can do is we actually send the game down to your device in chunks, uh, and then it runs locally as if it were installed. So the quality you get is that of an installed game. So there's no latency, no quality issues, nothing like that, without having to permanently install the game, take up storage space, and wait for a long download. So we found this like really nice, happy middle ground where the game is able to run um, as if it were installed without taking up storage space and with a quick load. Uh, so you get the benefits of you know, quick load from streaming, but also the benefits of permanent installs because it's running locally. And I think the biggest thing too on top of that is that our technology doesn't bind us to specific platforms. So that's why right out the gate, we're able to launch with PC, Mac, and Linux uh, with Vive and Rift support too, because it doesn't bind us to you know requiring developers to give us a specific platform build. Uh, we're able to go to virtually any platform uh, that supports web. We'll just kind of leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the number one thing that I think about when I think of video game streaming is PlayStation Now, which you mentioned. Um, you know, people on this show know that I love my PlayStation and my consoles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating to me to hear you talk about these chunks um so are are these uh chunks of the game essentially you know being sent to the computer in the background so people aren't seeing these as different chunks come in and out is that kind of how it works yeah yeah okay. it's, a, it's a great way to think of it it pulls basically what you need and so all you see is that the game loads up pretty quickly uh, because the first chunk we require to be under 100 megabytes. That's how we get it down in Got it. less than 60 seconds on a 15 megabit connection. That's kind of our baseline. So under 100 megabytes um, for the first chunk. And then from then on in, the games just are optimized to pull down uh, bits at a time as needed. So you as a gamer don't see any of that. It just works. Um, and developers using any kind of technology these days, most of the major game engines allow these type of optimizations. And some do it by default, like RPG Maker. Um, so you're able to give us your game, um, in this optimized format and we're able to deliver it via our tech, uh, in this really nice way of quick loading, but running locally. Okay. So this isn't actually putting more work on the developers to, uh, cut their game up and edit it in a certain way to, uh, to work on the jump platform. Right. These are standard features in most engines these days, so we're sure. not asking for a whole lot. And really, a lot of indie games are pretty small as it is, so well, some of them just meet the qualification without doing any work. <laughs> uh, I think A Wizard's Lizard, one of the, the games on our beta, is 20 megabytes. So uh, that game obviously loads without any optimization. But uh, another great example of the optimization and, and how great this tech works is uh, Always Sometimes Monsters uh, by Vagabond Dog it's on our beta too. That game is actually 500 megabytes, but it's an RPG maker game and that engine optimizes so well that that game actually loads pretty much instantaneously. Um, if you go into the beta and click play, that game will be open before you can even look for a loading bar. Um, (laughs) but it's 500 megs. So it's just this incredible, you know, um, showcase of what the optimization can do. And I think one of the other questions we get is, well, with this tech, you can only ever do small games. And obviously that's not true. Uh, because of the way that, that the optimizations work. So um, there's no limit on size. There's no limit on quality. Uh, we can do uh, pretty much anything. I'll tell you what, Anthony, you sound pretty proud of <laughs> Jump and of this platform and what you guys have created. 
It's uh, I mean, it's been a long time coming. I've been thinking about this and working on it for two and a half years and to see people receive it so positively has been a, a really heartwarming experience for me. Uh, it's also a sigh of relief to know that um, I wasn't crazy. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's also nice. Um, but it's been, um, you know, we, we've thought about it a lot. We like to think that we've covered a lot of the angles and we're always open to feedback. So that's why we opened the discord channel because we want people to be able to tell us what they think directly, uh, no filters. So, um, you know, we, we like to think that we've covered a lot, but we're always open to um, continue enhancing it. Tell me a little bit more about the story. So you've been in beta for the last two and a half years. What has that beta looked like? I, I mean, has, has it, you know, kind of been a constant climbing up the hill to this, you know, a glorious sigh of relief moment <laughs> where you realize that, you know, p- people understand and, and people seem excited by the idea or you know, has it been a really tough couple of years for you? So we've actually only been in beta for three days. Um, the rest of it has been what I'd call like an early alpha where we would showcase just some little bits of examples of what we could do. Okay, sure. Uh, but uh, it's been an up and down couple of years. I mean, th- I did this in my evenings and weekends while I had the accelerator job. Uh, my wife got into grad school in Los Angeles and we were living in the Bay Area. So we had to move and that was obviously very stressful because a couple of my teammates were in the Bay Area. Um, so, you know, we've had a lot, um, uh, that's been going on, but really, I think that the way we're set up now with me in LA near everything that's down here, um, with gaming and, and consumer tech, and then we have Cindy and a few other great folks in the, uh, San Francisco office, we have home bases in both. Um, so as much of a struggle as it's been for the last couple of years, working on this, pitching investors in multiple different rounds and finally coming through, um, earlier this year. Uh, and then hiring, uh, you know, from three people to nine in the span of about six weeks. It's been, it's been a heck of a roller coaster um, for the two two and a half years that we've been working on this idea. But to finally get to the beta stage where we're comfortable enough to invite people in and tell the world about it has been um, uh, super thrilling. <laughs> uh, personal question for you, Anthony. In that process, it was so difficult at a couple of times, very up and down. And this idea is a little out there. It's not something that's really been established or that we've seen much of in the industry before. Did you ever want to give up? Oh, um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm not going to say that I, I never had that thought. Um, there was a time probably in early 2014 where we were directionless. We were just kind of trying different things. Um, it was in between our game studio period and, and then figuring out you know, the early start of Jump. Um, and, and it was a very tough, tough year. Um, I didn't have income. All the stress was on my wife. And you know, being in the Bay Area, one income is, is tough. So For sure. that, that was probably the toughest year to try to get through. Uh, and luckily, at the end of that year was when I pitched the idea for Core Labs to a company called GSV Labs, who... Um, hired me to run my own idea, which was just so fortunate and, and awesome of them. Uh, and it worked out very well, but I think it all led me to here. Um, I'm kind of a big believer in things happening for a reason. And so despite how frustrating and tough those couple of years were, I think starting as an indie developer, failing, um, running this accelerator, you know, finally raising money for this and, and being where we are now, now that the tech is ready, but as of literally like a couple months ago, web tech caught up to where we wanted it to be. Hmm. Um, I think it all worked out uh, so that we could do this. And on top of that, this is really, people are calling it the year of the subscription. So the market is finally ready for something like this. So uh, despite the frustrations and wanting to give up a couple times, I think we're here for, for a very specific reason. Absolutely. And I so appreciate your optimism and your positivity towards it. Uh, Before we move away from this, I want to ask you, and I I ask this because I know that there are people in the audience who may be in those couple of years that you were talking about in those periods in their life where they are directionless and and they aren't figuring it out and and it's hard and they want to give up. What would you say to those people based on your personal experience? I think for me, it was uh, being able to to persevere has always been like a quality that I like to think that I possess. So I always found a way to stay afloat. Um, And it's it's not that it's in your control all the time, but, you know, the work ethic is there. So if there's something that you really want to do, you'll find a way to do it. Um, And that's why Jump even exists is because we 
worked on it in our evenings and weekends until we had enough put together to go raise around the funding and we had to have jobs there you know all of us had jobs none of us were working on it full time so we did what it took to be able to get jump put together and i think that's it's what really matters so if you truly believe in the the product that you're working on you really want to do this um and see it through to the end you'll find a way um and i think that's the, kind of the big differentiator between um people that you know quit what they're doing or just quitters in general uh, versus people that persevere. Um, and it, it's just finding a way to do it no matter what. Um, so if I could give any advice, it would be figure out how you can do it. Uh, you don't have to do it full time. You don't even have to do it, you know, your evenings, you could just do weekends, but figure out a way to get it done and, and set milestones and goals for yourself. So you know where you're going and it's not an aimless trek like my 2014 was. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And you know, that sound advice that sound insight. So thank you, Anthony. Of course. You and I were chatting with Cindy a bit before we started, and um, this kind of goes back to that question I asked you a bit ago about uh, answering questions that you're seeing from people now that, you know, this is out in the media and the media has really grabbed onto this. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about the fact that Jump has a business model and a plan and a growth plan. Uh, is there anything you want to say to that? Uh, anything you want to, you know, tell people about you know, uh, what the plan is for jump, anything about, you know, what your trajectory looks like? Yeah. Um, so Cindy's not gonna let me say a whole lot, but what I will say, <laughs> uh, is that one of the biggest pieces of feedback we saw from consumers is uh, the worry that it's only indie games. Um, and indie games are, you know, very close to our heart because we were indie developers. They need the most help. Uh, and they're also the most excited about this because they're very nimble like us. They can move very quickly on things. So, Indie games are the focus at launch, but uh, as I kind of alluded to earlier, it's not the only type of game that we can run on the service. We're not limited by any technical means to just indie games, um, and we can do games that are old and new, um, and, and I mean old, so uh, you can take that <laughs> as you will. Uh, we can also do very new games. We can do VR. We can do all sorts of things. So, you know, on the, the topic of content, uh, we'll be looking at all avenues in the future, and we'll have some announcements prepped, you know, over the next uh, six to 12 months for things like that. But indies will always be the focus. They'll always get the same spotlight. You know, we have that rotating banner. If you open up our beta app, that'll always be, you know, large games next to small games, AAA games next to retro games, indie games next to VR games. It'll be uh, anything. Uh, and, and indies will always have the spotlight that they deserve in our platform. But it doesn't mean that we'll always only be indie. Um, we're not bound to uh, to that by any technical restrictions or anything. And then I think that the other thing too is people worry about just desktop um, because uh, it limits what we can do. And Netflix to me is you know, the value proposition isn't streaming. The value proposition is access to my content on whatever device I'm on. Sure. And uh, so when I say we want to be the Netflix of indie games, that's because that's the value proposition that we're striving to do. So. What I can say is that we're actively looking at other options, um, not just desktop. So uh, there are plans in the works, there's conversations happening, and we will also have announcements on that front uh, in the coming months. Excellent. Well, I'm extremely excited to see where Jump goes in the future, uh, and I am just thrilled by your passion for it. So, And Thank I you. so appreciate you coming on and chatting. Of course. Tell me a little bit about the name. Where does the name Jump come from? Yeah, that's an easy one. So uh, we like to say that you can jump between games and jump between devices. Uh, it makes it pretty self-explanatory for the name. But uh, <laughs> a funny thing, we originally called it Boondoggle. Um, and we wanted just something that was memorable. We did a little play on the word uh, WebGL. And so it was B-O-O-N-D-O-G-L uh, is how we spelled it. And uh, got a lot of Pretty negative feedback on that. Only a couple people liked it because it was memorable. <laughs> but the one thing that was the tipping point for us, and uh, first I'll ask, am I allowed to curse on the show? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay, so we got a Destructoid article that was titled, Why the Fuck Would You Name Your Service Boondoggle? And he had never seen it, right? He had never tried it because we weren't showing anything. But that was the title of the article. And we we're like, okay, it's, let's, let's look for something else. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we, we did the name game for, oh boy, a couple weeks probably. And uh, finally somebody said jump. And uh, it perfectly explains exactly what the service allows you to do. You know, you can jump in between games freely and quickly. And you can jump between devices, take your save data with you, uh, play against your friends across devices, all sorts of different stuff. So it was the perfect... Uh, Perfect name for what we wanted, and uh, miraculously, there wasn't really a trademark product called Jump. 
That is miraculous. That was my first thought when I heard it was that seems like a very easy uh, or, or uh, I don't know, almost very common name. Um, yep. I, I was worried that you that the the company named Jump might get buried amongst all the other things probably named Jump. Yeah, I'm happy to say that we're already starting to surface on the first page of Google for for certain types of search. So um, <laughs> the only other th- thing we're even aware of is there's like a Google camera rig for for GoPros for 3D video and um, not uh, not trademarked. So we've uh, we've done some filings ourselves. Excellent. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I want to go back to talking about business models a little bit. Um, sure. So you talked a bit about Jump's business model, but there are a lot of indie games out there who are just making a game and not putting it out there and not really having a business model or a business plan or a growth plan. What are your thoughts on on indie developers having a business model? What would you what would you say to people who should probably figure that out? I think it's absolutely necessary. And especially in today's climate where just putting your game up on Steam isn't enough anymore. You know, I'd say five years ago when we started working on it, um, Steam Greenlight hadn't launched. And so getting your game onto Steam was almost a guaranteed like $50,000 in sales. Um, obviously, that's not the case anymore. And I think that developers need to have a very strong plan in place, not only to launch their game on premium stores or free to play for mobile, but they need to understand how those models work. You know, how the sales actually happen? How do you drive traffic to your page? It's not just PR getting reviews. It's you know, serious marketing dollars. Um, and I think that's one thing that people miss is, is the actual marketing effort it takes to drive enough people to your page to get purchases. Um, and if you're in mobile, you can forget about it unless you have a million dollars in ad revenue or something to drive enough people to get you into the top charts to start getting organic growth. So understanding what market you're going after, the business models that work, and, and really the ins and outs of what you need to do to be successful is super important because just hoping your game hits is not a reliable strategy. And it's unfortunately what happens to a lot of developers. So, um, you know, having, whether you learn it yourself or whether you find somebody that's more business savvy than you are so you can focus on your tech, uh, super crucial piece of being a successful indie developer these days. And so you're, let, let's get hypothetical for a second. I'm an indie developer. I've made a game. I think it's really, really good. It's got potential. But I, you're right. Putting it up on Steam isn't enough anymore, and putting it up on the, uh, you know, the iTunes App Store is definitely not enough anymore. <laughs> Where do you start? Is it, you know, should I outsource somebody? Should I be reading articles? Should I? I don't have a million dollars to put into, you know, marketing. I don't. I probably don't even have, you know, thousands of dollars to put into marketing. What do you do? So there's uh, there's a bunch of different options you can do. The first thing I'd say is you want to start looking at least six to twelve months ahead of time. Um, you need to give yourself lead time to not only you know find the service or the person that you want to work with, um, but actually start announcing things and start talking about your game in public so that people know it exists. Um, that's why we did this beta launch. We didn't want to come out of left field and say, "Hey, we're live today." Uh, you know, we needed to give people a chance to digest and think about what we're doing and see if they like it. Um, so game developers need to do the same thing. So giving that lead time is really important. But you know, beyond that, there's uh, several firms that like to work with small indie developers on like a rev share basis. So even if you can't afford them, they'll if they like your game enough, they'll give you a rev share. Uh, publishers are still very effective because they know exactly how to get your game out there. Uh, they're very... Um, they're experts at, at being able to do that. So unfortunately, you'll give up a chunk of your game. But the way to think of a publisher deal is... You know, would you rather have 100% of nothing or 70% of something? And, um, you know, a lot of people think that the 30% is going to kill them, but it doesn't kill you if you're going to get a million sales as opposed to a thousand. <laughs> so it's really just kind of working out the economics and trying to figure out what's going to work best for you. And honestly, pitching publishers will also be a good litmus test to see if your game is going to sell or not. Because if publishers are turning you down left and right, it might be hard um, to be able to get your game out there. Because if it was a great game that, had a chance to go viral on its own, uh, they would be pitching you as opposed to you pitching them. So, uh, but the, you know, the good news is there is help out there. You don't always have to pay up front. You can find rev share deals, whether it's publishers or marketing firms. Uh, but it's finding the resource that works for you and, and then doing the math to see whether it's worth it or not. I can see your background coming out, Anthony. I love these actionable <laughs> items that you're right. giving me. This is great. <laughs> Oh, my, my years at Core Labs are, are coming back to me. Yeah, absolutely. I can tell. Well, um, 
you know, and of course, to the indie devs out there, if, you know, you have a great game that you're excited about, but you don't know what to do or where to go or what's next, you can always reach out to us at Indie Insider, Logan at BlackShellMedia.com. Uh, you know, I can help you with, you know, figuring out what the next steps are. And, you know, I can connect you with people like Anthony, who is just obviously very passionate about indie games and, and doing great things. I'm sure he would love to help out as well when he has a spare moment. <laughs> yeah, and um, and I'll actually go ahead and plug Cade's email address too because he is really helpful in trying to help developers figure out what they should do, whether it's related to Jump or not. Um, we've been approached for feedback on what we should do. So Cade at playonjump.com, C-A-D-E. Uh, he is uh, another resource that you can tap. Feel free to email us at any time and, uh, and we'll be more than happy to help. Even if it's not a fit for Jump or you want to bring it to Jump in two years, we don't care. We'll, um, we'll help you out. I love that. That's excellent. Well, Anthony, I just have a couple of questions for you before I let you go, if that's all right. Yeah. Um, one topic I want to talk to you about is investment. So, you know, you said you were pitching around for a little while and you kind of just got investment earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit to that experience? I know, you know, there are some small studios and companies that are just not even sure where to start when it comes to raising money. Yeah, and I'll say that I've gone through the ringer, uh, so I figured out a lot of that kind of fundraising landscape, and I'll, I'll tell you how we got to where we are. But um, the first unfortunate truth that I want to reveal is that content is very hard to raise money for outside of publishers. Um, you're going to be looking at you know a, a, an angel investor, friends and family, or a publisher to be able to give you money, uh, mm-hmm. because the way that traditional investment works, which is more angels and, and VC firms in particular, right. is they give you money in exchange for uh, a percentage of your company, which is how we raised our first round of funding. And what they're looking for is a scalable business with a long-term plan that isn't hits-driven, um, and they can clearly see the path to success. The problem with game studios is that even if they think this one particular game is going to hit, they're not going to buy equity in the company because they have no idea what your next game is going to do. And to go back, unfortunately, to the, the prison architect example, their first game was massive. And if somebody invested in them for equity, they'd be very disappointed in that second game selling 6,000 <laughs> copies. Uh, so investors are just very averse to risk and games are very risky, especially companies um, trying to get investment in the company itself as opposed to in games. Um, so on the game side, I would stick to friends and family, you know, maybe an angel in your network that might be willing to take a risk on you or publishers for funding. Uh, and then there's things like Indie Fund and a bunch of other things that there's like options for, for potential funding as well that don't work just like RevShares. It's interesting the way that they structure. But if you're going after traditional funding, you're going to want to have a business model that you can clearly show an investor how they get 10 times their investment on return. That's kind of the baseline that investors go after. So, you know, if I give you a million dollars, I want to get $10 million out of my percentage when you sell the company. Um, that's what they look to do. So that's kind of the target that you need to build into your business model. And if you don't think that you can give an investor a 10x return, they're probably not going to be interested in talking to you. Um, now for going out and trying to raise money for a new startup, um, I can say out of personal experience that pre-launch is incredibly hard and uh, <laughs> you'll be sticking to angel investors unless you have just a killer idea that uh, that a VC is willing to plunk down pre-launch. But most of the time now, investors want to see a launch product with traction, which you know relates to the number of users you have, um, the number of people converting from trial to paid users, the number of people you know returning the game. They want to see all those things uh, different. They call them key performance indicators or KPIs. And so investors, especially VCs, are more and more looking for KPIs uh, before they'll even make an investment. So if you're pre-launch and you're looking for funding, um, stick to publishers, stick to angel investors. That's going to be your best bet. What do you think about publishing companies for indies? And obviously, you know, um, I work for Blackshell Media, which is a you know a small indie game publishing company. Um, and you know, you have your own relationship with Blackshell Media as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but setting all that aside, you know, taking that out of the equation, what are your honest thoughts on, you know, indie publishers? Are, are there any ones out there that are doing great work that you would recommend? Or, you know, do you have thoughts on publishing in the indie space? I think that it's uh, one of the only ways to really break through these days. Um, it, it's an unfortunate thing, but getting a hit is just so hard anymore without a publisher. Um, I think there's probably five or six that I would recommend among Blackshell, or, you know, Blackshell Media being part of that group. But 
Uh, Tiny Build has a great reputation in the industry. Uh, Chucklefish does kind of small to medium sized games. Devolver has a very specific uh, type of game that they go after, you know, the fast paced or beautiful pixel art type games. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple others, but those are, you're going to want to look for like the reputable indie publishers because there are some out there too that aren't as great. Um, and the best way to look at it is look for track records, right? Uh, you know, using Black Shell as an example, look how well Dungeon Souls did. Um, that was a, a huge success in the indie space. And for Tiny Build, look at, you know, Cluster Truck or any of the more recent ones that came out or no time to explain the game that they started with. Like they obviously knew what they were doing on the publishing side. Um, Devolver has 50 games and I'd say 45 of them are probably huge hits. So, <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, you can, it, you can see the kind of the, the cream rise to the top or whatever that, that phrase would be, but, um, it's, it's really easy to see which ones are doing well and that's the ones you want to pitch, but you don't just want to blindly pitch. You want to look at their portfolio and see if they would be interested in your type of game. That way you're not wasting your time or theirs. That's actually a great point that I want to ask you about is, is pitching your game because not only will people maybe be pitching to publishers, but they can also pitch to jump, right? And try and get onto your platform. What would you say to people in order to, you know, have a really effective uh, pitch for their game? I mean, I think the biggest thing is just showing that you're going to be able to finish it, regardless of whether you have money or not. Um, publishers don't want to hear, oh, I need $300,000 to get to a beta, because um, I've heard that pitch a few times, believe it or not. And they don't want to hear that you need money to not finish the game, or <laughs> even that you need money to finish it. Um, you know, what you should be asking for is marketing support. You should be able to finish the game on your own and maybe they'll cover a little bit of, um, your development funds. But, uh, you know, somebody like, uh, like Devolver or some of the bigger ones, they fund games, but not in, you know, the range of a million dollars to have a 10 person team. Um, so you need to be smart about the money that you're asking for when you're pitching. Uh, you can do some sales projections and say, this is what I think I can sell based on how other games similar to mine did. That helps, but for the most part, they're going to make up their own projections. It's not going to matter a whole lot to them. They'll figure out what they think your game's going to do. Uh, and really, you just want to wow them uh, with the deck. There's a lot of good examples of pitch decks or PowerPoint presentations out there that showcase the game really well, You know, chock full of artwork and videos and uh, reviews, people that talked about the game, things like that. But I think the biggest thing you can do with a publisher beyond the deck is just show it to them and see if they think it's fun. Um, so if you're pitching a cold pub or uh, a publisher via cold email, uh, make it short and concise, attach a build, attach a video, attach a couple screenshots, maybe some quotes of what people said about it. Um, and, uh, you know, make sure the header of your email is, is catchy. So they open it, but, um, you know, try to wow them with the visuals and the actual gameplay. Uh, cause they're, they're not really going to care about your, stats on what you think the sales are going to be because their projections are going to be better than yours. <laughs> well, there you go. Anthony, <laughs> uh, we've reached the end of the episode and we have been talking about Jump, your you know new upcoming platform. It's in beta right now. Um, that's going to be you know offering indie games and a subscription service to consumers, uh, both old and new games as we've established. Uh, it's a revenue split. Is there anything else you want to say about Jump? Anything we didn't cover that uh, you want to make sure people know as you head towards, you know, the final launch of Jump? Uh, I'd say if you're a developer, we'd love to talk to you. We're looking to work with any type of developers. We don't have any restrictions. We just want good games. So, you know, if, if you're a developer and you're looking for a new way to breathe life into an old game, or if you're looking at new business models, want to learn about us, uh, feel free to reach out to us directly. We have several contact links on our website. I gave Cade's email earlier. Mine is Anthony at Play on Jump. It's very easy as well. Um, you know, reach out. We want to talk to you. We want to learn more about what you think, what your concerns are, or uh, or if you're interested in bringing a game to Jump. We'd love to hear it. So, in the meantime, uh, just check out the beta and, and let us know what you think of the tech. Uh, it's it's pretty new and different. So, you can go to PlayOnJump.com. It'll be available uh, until July 24th. Excellent and. Uh, Based on just having this conversation with you, it seems like this beta is probably a, a pretty active beta that you're getting some real legitimate feedback and plan on making changes based on that feedback. Yeah, if you'd like to give feedback to us as well, if you're in the beta, we have a Discord channel that's uh, plugged into the beta as well. It's just on the help page of the beta app, so uh, it's pretty lively. There's a, at least 100 people in there giving us feedback all the time. We'd love to hear from you and, and see what you think. We're updating it every day. We push updates to the app every day. 
That's excellent. Well, congratulations on all of this. I know this has been kind of a crazy week for you. I can't believe you made time for me inside of that week. Um, but I'm excited for this episode to go up and share it with people, and uh, I'm happy to see where Jump ends up. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having us. And um, we did hit that user milestone during the call, so I'm going to uh, go celebrate <laughs> with a, a nice cold beer and, and have myself a day. Excellent. Go have a beer. But before I let you go, the last thing I do in every episode, of course, and I think I warned you, is that I need one last piece of advice from you uh, to send people home with today. Something that's been true for you or resonated with you recently. Um, and, I, you know, you've already shared a ton of advice and a ton of insight on a lot of different topics. Um, but is there anything else that you, you can send home with people? Yeah, if you don't mind, I have two. Um, Let's do it. So the first is uh, is related to my story about 2014. Just persevere. Um, if you want this to work, if you are working on a game or a project or a startup, and you really know that this is what your future is going to be, find a way to make it work. Don't give up on it. Um, it's really important to have perseverance as part of your mantra because startups are hard. Um, doesn't matter if you're a game developer or building, you know, enterprise software. It's going to be difficult, and there's going to be bumps. So you know, build perseverance into your character, uh, number one. And then the second, I think it's really important that a lot of people overlook is, uh, is the network effect of just meeting people and getting into their, you know, um, their line of sight and, and knowing them and expanding your network. Um, one of the biggest pieces of feedback I used to give, we used to do a whole session on it at Core Labs was, um, sometimes you just have to know people. And so we would talk about best practices for networking, but, Really, don't be afraid to reach out to anybody. Um, you know, we we have been encouraging people to ping us on Discord or email us uh, so that they can talk directly to us. And it's not often you see a startup, uh, especially like a whole platform, say, "Hey, you can talk to us right now on Discord all the time." Um, and we wanted to have that as a differentiating factor. But you know, being able to know the right people is so important. Um, I think our PR campaign was very successful because Cindy is just one of those incredibly well-connected industry veterans. And so she could tell you firsthand that the network really matters. So make networking a priority uh, as you're trying to grow your company. Meet everybody you can. See if they know anybody. Um, you know, LinkedIn goes a little bit of the way, but go to events and meet people. You know, go to PAX, go to developer meetups, uh, meet anybody you can. And don't be afraid to reach out to even the highest level people because a lot of times they're just willing to help. That's sound advice. And we've already established that, you know, you gave out your email, you're accessible to people as well. Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like we probably need to get Cindy on this show too. She'd be a great, you know, guest to have on. Yeah, she's a character. So um, if you want a lively show, I would uh, highly recommend inviting <laughs> her on. I will make sure to stay in touch with her and and with you as well. And Anthony, if people have really enjoyed this show, they've enjoyed what you've had to say and they want to follow along with the jump journey and with your personal journey how do they find you out on those interwebs? So we'll have a blog that's going up pretty soon on playonjump.com. You'll be able to follow a lot of different things that we're doing through that. Um, we'll be posting on social media uh, pretty extensively, and that's at playonjump. Uh, we tried to make that pretty easy. And you can always email us or join our Discord, too, as, as the Discord's very active. Um, and that's in the beta link, and it'll, uh, we'll put it up on the site and on social media as well so people can join. Excellent. Anthony, are you on social media? I am. So uh, on, let's see, on Twitter, I'm at Anthony R. Palma, P-A-L-M-A is my last name. And uh, you can find me on Facebook just by searching my name and LinkedIn, same thing. There you go. That's great. All right. Um, I think we're in good shape. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun to talk about this. Took me back. <laughs> some of the trials and tribulations. It's, it's fun. Thank you for joining us this week. Again, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas you'd like to share, you can email me at logan at blackshellmedia.com or reach out on Twitter at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. This podcast is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm dedicated to helping independent video game developers reach massive audiences, publish financially successful titles, and turn game development into a career. It's the company's mission to help game developers get more of what they want out of a rewarding opportunity in the game industry, more fans, and sustainable revenue to keep them moving forward. Blackshell Media also has an educational branch to their company, where they offer free articles and resources for aspiring and growing developers, which is why we get to bring this show to you every single week. You can find Blackshell Media on the web at blackshellmedia.com and on Twitter at blackshellmedia. This show is on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the web, as well as the Blackshell Media blog. 
If you enjoy what we're doing here and want us to keep doing it, or if you have things you'd like us to change, please go to your favorite podcast provider and leave us a review so that we can keep sharing these episodes each week with you. Special thanks this week goes out to Raghav Mather, Daniel Doan, and Raquel Hayner, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for the use of his song, Going Higher. I'm Logan Schultz, and you've been listening to Indie Insider. We'll see you next week.